Good morning, everyone in the United States. Good afternoon, everyone in the UK. Hopefully we can see <laughs> Right? Um, welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman, and this is the channel where we cover all things related to parenting, education, and so on. Uh, today, I have with me Dennis Noel Cavanaugh. He is a, let me get this right, okay. Uh, he's a former criminal barrister and now a legal commentator. And he's one of three directors of the Gay Men's Network, a non-for-profit organization fighting modern forms of homophobia. I have asked him here today to talk to us about the gender um, ideology, gender movement, and in particular, how it is affecting young people um, in his country and also in the United States. Um, I'm sure we can pick up some lessons from what he's seen. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you very much indeed for having me on. Hello, oh, America, and hello, London. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dennis, um, as I mentioned before the show began, it is my observation that the push in our schools with our young people uh, to identify their gender as something other than the binary sex, male, female, from earlier ages is just everywhere. It's now national policy in most states. It is the official legal policy that teachers have to adhere to is aff affirming and affirming care. And it's my understanding, too, that in the UK, this, you, you're, you're farther along on that. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've seen and what your view is on that as a policy? Well, um, I, I suppose we start at the beginning to say that there's, as the interim CAS report found in the United Kingdom, this is a report into gender identity services by Dr. Hilary Cass OBE, who, who was looking um, at, at this, uh, the, the, the presentation for, quote, gender distressed children has changed radically uh, in as much as the numbers presenting to clinics um, are frankly astronomical. So between 2009-2019 at our clinic, the Tavistock, the figure for girls is an increase of 5,000%, 5,000. Um, Scotland recently released figures where it was uh, over 1,000%. Um, it is it is beyond, it seems to me, it stretches credulity to breaking point to say anything other than we've either got a massive epidemic on our hands of gender dysphoria with no good scientific evidence for why that might be the case, or alternatively, what we have um, is, is a message being pushed and we have classic um, social contagions. Um, and this seems to be, it seems to me to be obvious that that is the case, because in both of our countries, of course, what we've got is the rise of gender identity, biology denial as a movement, the rise of that being taught in schools, and then surprise, surprise, the rise of, of vulnerable um, gender non-conforming children, most of whom will grow up to be gay, presenting for a lifetime of medicalization. Now, in this country, I think it's beginning to unravel somewhat. We've um, achieved something in this country that, that I don't think any other Western democracy has done, which is that we managed to break apart the misleadingly named conversion therapy bill. Um, we, we managed to persuade the government to say, look, being lesbian, gay, bisexual is different to having gender dysphoria. And, you know, praying away the gay, torturing kids, mental, physical torture, so to try and change their sexuality is one thing that's obviously wrong, but that's different to sitting down with the child who's saying, I've got the wrong body. And often, 
a child who says I've got the wrong body because someone on TikTok has told them that that is the case. Um, and we, we know from the interim cast review that they're looking very seriously at the role of things like social media and the role of things like what's being said in schools about, about this. So um, while we've managed to achieve that break and it, it's, it's looking a lot, a lot more positive than um, it does in, in other places, we're not all of the way there yet because as I say, th this stuff is pretty ubiquitous. It's everywhere you look. Um, and kids get this on their smartphones. They get it pushed at them. Um, it's the acceptable. It's the fashionable thing now, isn't it? Every 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 child seems to know what non-binary and all that means. Um, and it's being pushed in schools, as you say. I mean, in, in your country, of course, it's state mandated. In ours, it's much looser. And I think our Secretary of State for Education is waking up to this. But so much as we've had some success in dealing with the symptoms, so what's going on at these clinics, we need to look at the cause. And there's still a lot of work to be done about, you know, what is being said to vulnerable, easily led um, kids who, who are, of course, by definition, susceptible to peer pressure, who are by definition, susceptible to a fad in class. So we're, we're a little bit further along, I'd say, than, than America, um, which, which is sad because, you know, what's happening in America seems to me extraordinary on some levels. Um, but we're, we're by no means all of the way there yet. Sorry, Deb, that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, um, that was really helpful. And, and I really would love for you to uh, expand on what you mean by the cause. Do you have theories? Yeah, I, 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 I do. Um, I, I think this is a political project. I think it's a political project that's been um, um, pushed by um, a, a now very influential set of people. And I, I, I do not believe, and I think it scientifically makes no sense whatsoever, I do not believe that a 5,000% increase in females, for example, presenting at the Tavistock in circa 2009 I don't believe it's a coincidence that that just suddenly started happening once gender started being pushed. I mean, it would be ludicrous, it seems to me, to say, well, isn't, isn't it strange, just at the time when schools are tell, telling everyone and, and smartphones and kids' TV is telling everyone they've got a gender identity, isn't it strange to have all these kids saying, I've got a gender identity? And, right. you know, this would be fine, right, if we were talking about dressing up like goths or if we were talking about some sort of organic youth movement that, that comes from young people, it would be fine if we were dealing with that, but we're not. We're dealing with a, a highly adept, very powerful political movement, which seems to contain a lot of people who've never had surgery telling mm -hmm. young children that they should. And it, it seems to me obvious that, you know, we didn't just wake up one morning and suddenly there was this vast undiscovered population of trans, non-binary, whatever, kids. This has come from somewhere. And it's obvious where it's come from. You know, you look, you pick up a child's phone or, you know, you, you look at the social media outputs or look at, look at how many people on TikTok are saying to kids, you know, this is an easy thing to do. This is um, a fun thing to do. This cool thing to do. And worst of all, this will solve all your problems. No? Right. And, and you'll be, oh, 
But is, I I agree with you. What I can't wrap my mind around, though, is the why. I mean, we have the tradition of money, which is almost always a cause, you know, for any kind of conspiracy. There's always money to be made. Okay, I, mean, I don't I don't mean conspiracy like people meeting in a dark room, but people having a project to say, hey, let's let's push this, let's pursue this. It seems like money is almost always a motivator. But I also feel like there's something else, an ideological component or some other kind of purpose to it. Is it, do you think, because when people are pushed into a, a, a dysphoric state or a state where they become dependent on others for their self-esteem, they're more malleable in general? Perhaps. Um, I, think, I think there's a, a number of different motivations behind the movement. S some is just good intentions. Some, some people genuinely believe this is gay rights 2.0. This is the next civil rights. And I think the vast majority of people that want to go along and do the right thing make, make what I consider, I, I consider that to be a mistake. And I think they make that mistake. But, but this looks a bit like gay rights. It sounds a bit like gay rights. It's only when you open up the hood you can see that it's much, much darker. The, we also, I think, are dealing with the, something that is a little bit darker, which is this. For what, uh, what's called the AGP, so the heterosexual, say, middle-aged man who graduates from cross-dressing to full-time, quote, identifying as a woman, living as a woman, never has surgery, is interested in things like the cotton ceiling, um, which is the same-sex boundaries of lesbians. That now has a name, thanks to this movement. For the cotton ceiling. Yeah, it, and there's a gay equivalent. There's a gay. I'm sorry to say, there's a gay male equivalent, which is the boxer ceiling. And the existence of those two terms alone tells you something about this movement. Tells you that it regards it's same. Violent. Well, it, it, it same-sex sexual boundaries are fundamentally not respected, and. They are treated as if, I mean, the, the very term ceiling, they're treated as something to be overcome, you know, like the glass ceiling and, and that kind of thing. That's the language it's, it's evoking. But what it's saying is, and this is very seductive, particularly for young gay people, what it's saying is we, we can change it. it. Sounds a lot like conversion to me. And it sounds a lot yeah. like contempt for same-sex boundaries. Now, for, for, for those sorts of people, I'm afraid one is left with... Uh, I, I, left with this analysis, to my mind, there is, if you have a generation of trans kids, so these are vulnerable little children being told they've got the wrong bodies, if you have that, then one, you can claim there's some sort of historical legitimacy for what you're doing. Um, two, there is a, a, a load-bearing weight morally in your political movement, because you can say, well, look, Look at, look at these kids that I'm helping. And three, you can say there's the narrative. Now, I don't think the narrative works because as the studies show, the majority of children presenting at gender clinics grow up to be homosexuals. And the vast majority of AGPs are heterosexuals. So what I see are little gay kids or kids who grow up to be gay who've been, who either have internalized or external homophobic pressures, who've played with the wrong, the wrong toys and the idea that playing with toys is a diagnostic criteria for lifelong medicalization. I mean, one, one terrifying. Needs... I played with G.I. Joe. <laughs> you know, I mean, is that really where we are as a society? I've, I've seen people say this quite seriously, you know, that toys should be used as a diagnostic criteria. It's, it's absolutely mad. But we have to, I'm afraid, it, it seems to me, say that tactically the existence of kids in this way 
serves a political function for this movement as well. It allows this movement to portray itself as a safeguarding movement. It allows this movement to say it's catering to a particular need. Now, that, that conceals, as I say, that it is creating this need. It conceals that most kids grow out of this. Um, it, it, it conceals um, the fact that a lot of kids referred to, I'll just quote from the interim Cass report, Dr. Cass said, we heard from uh, young lesbians who felt pressure to identify as transgender males. It can see, I mean, that's the Abigail Schreier point, you know, fleeing womanhood like a burning building. Um, and this, what it seems to me that what we have here is an innovation. We have a novelty. We have something that hasn't happened in society before. So it's no accident that it creates its own history. It creates its own class of people that are going to go into this medical system. Because that goes along with the fact that it is ahistorical, it is ascientific. So you, if you look at the appetite that it has for rewriting history, for example, if you look at the Stonewall riots, it's obviously very important in, in USA gay history and I think wider gay history. This movement rewrites history. It says, no, it wasn't a, a, a black drag queen which it was, um, he, him, you know, <laughs> a, a, a black drag queen who was at the Stonewall riots. Um, it was, in fact, a trans woman. I mean, that happens to be wrong in any event. The woman who started the Stonewall riots was a woman, a lesbian, Stormy Delavro. So right. but that historicism, I think, is what drives this partly. I also think some of these people do not realise the level of safeguarding harm and serious harm they're doing because they don't seem to me to have an appetite for examining the serious collateral damage done to people. Life is bright and beautiful under the rainbow and everyone's happy and everyone's smiling and everyone's a fun character. No one talks about the detransitioners, you know? No one talks about people like Sinead Watson um, left with mastectomy scars as a result of this movement. No one talks about the boys who haven't had, like Tulip, um, who haven't had um, adult male testosterone and end up uh, not appearing to be, you know, your classic adult male, and that has an effect. There's no, there's, that's the problem with this movement. The minute pe someone becomes a detransitioner, they become persona non gratis. And, right. you know, they become someone who's just ignored. And, you know, that's not good enough morally. It's not right. good enough to treat people. Like you can't you, you you can't really start a movement on the basis of you know inclusion and belonging and acceptance and even celebration if you are going to turn around and treat anyone who changes their mind or even anyone who would be perfectly willing to say that's fine for you and go on with yourself you know um, but not me then you're betraying everything you claim to stand for you're actually exclusive you're actually quite bigoted. And um, it's a it feels uh, it feels exactly like how the old fashioned homophobes would react to somebody who is just homosexual that, you know, that we, we've got to make it like you're a bad person. Yeah. For being and what you are, if you're not it, one of us. Yeah. It, it, it's a movement with one eye closed permanently because it only has an eye for happy, inspirational, success story. It, do, it doesn't talk about children at gender clinics and something called diagnostic overshadowing, where uh, children learn on the internet not to tell gender clinicians about histories of sexual abuse, for example. 
or about comorbid conditions. It doesn't have an eye for that. It doesn't have an eye for detransitioners. It doesn't have an eye for vulnerable women in prisons sharing cell with the, cells with the male-bodied rapists. You know, uh, Professor Judith Butler dreaming up new gender identities in an ivory tower in Berkeley has nothing to say to those women. Um, it doesn't have anything to say to women who lose out in sports competitions. It doesn't have anything to say to women who were put at, uh, sold at rape shelters in Edinburgh by the, the, by the trans-identified male running that rape shelter that people um, who object to that um, are big, quote, bigots who need to reframe their trauma. That's a quote. That's right. said to, to women who've been raped. And, you know, this is not good enough. Human beings, and particularly little human beings, uh, gender clinics are not collateral damage. They are not guinea pigs. Uh, it is not acceptable for any movement to create an engine of unreality, to put a load of children in, to let it chew them up, and then when they detrans, say, oh, you're an evil person, you were never really trans. Well, do you know what? That, that, that's a person who's been changed, medicated, and severely affected by your ideology. And you know, this is where the gay movement ha has fundamentally failed. We, we had a case in the United Kingdom, um, Appleby and Tavistock, Mrs. Sonia um, Appleby was the safeguarding lead at the Tavistock, and she raised homophobia as a safeguarding concern. She said, I'm, I am concerned that the children are coming here look to me like they're going to grow up gay, and no one's prepared to say that. And I, I've quoted this before, the, the, the Times article on this says, quote, there was, a, there was a dark joke amongst staff, soon there will be no gay children left, it is like a new form of conversion therapy. That was their dark joke. Uh, children. Um, you know, one of the reasons this is happening, and, and one of the, we, we've got a real breakdown here, particularly in gay charities and gay institutions, because you would have thought, wouldn't you, once, a, and this, this all came out in court, that a, once a court said, um, we find in favour of Mrs. Appleby, which the court did, and um, she's right to say that she is a whistleblower, i.e. she tried to protect kids, she tried to talk about homophobia, but she was vilified, she was victimised, she was silenced, she was cancelled. Now, what kind of world do we live in where Sonia Appleby, for whom, to whom the gay community, I should say, are extremely grateful, is the person who protects us and protects our next generation? And our national charities, so our equivalent of the ACLU, Stonewall, broadly speaking, um, have nothing to say. As I say, it's this one eye. They, they don't see it. They won't see it and they won't say anything about it. Um, yeah, and the ACLU here is now jokingly referred to as the AC, uh, the ACTU, yeah. or something like that, because it is they are at the forefront of every single debate or fight over this. Um, their official position is, you know, affirm, you know, affirming the youth as, as young as possible, as young as six, and they are at the forefront of fighting for things like you know, the nullification of parental rights so that children can go get this care without their parents knowing. We have states in this country that have already done that, 12 years old. And um, it's, to me, it's absolutely terrifying because we've now already seen, and you've probably heard about it in Canada too, children removed from their homes on the basis of fear that the parents will reject them. So it's not, you know, one girl who tragically committed suicide after she was removed from the home, she'd suffered with depression since she was about 10 or 11. 
Yeah. And went off to school and ended up joining a GSA club, a gay straight alliance type of club, which really is where a lot of this conversion is happening. And then started to identify as a boy, um, was affirmed. And on the basis of the mother being Catholic, simply on that basis, the social workers and the people in charge of this case uh, of this girl, because they were trying to push her towards the gender clinic, said, we're going to remove you and put you into a group home. So they put her into a group home at the age of 16. And it wasn't long after that, that she kneeled down in front of a train, um, probably because the underlying depression that she had was never treated. We've heard there have been other cases where now the federal government in our country is giving <clears throat> grant money to these group homes and kids are being removed from homes based on the theory that the parents don't support the affirmation. They're fighting against it. They want to remove them from the gender care and they're removing and putting them in group homes for their opposite sex. So opposite their biological sex. When it's right. girls, they're getting raped. They're getting trafficked. And the parents and grandparents still can't get them back. It's just, it's just monstrous, isn't it? This is, I, it, it's difficult to find words to fit around that because safeguarding failure doesn't really do it justice. Um, the, the, the first thing to say is this, the evidence base for the affirmation only model and I'm, I'm quoting Hilary Cass, who I've got on the other screen here. This is an interim report. You know, she says it's severely lacking. If we just pause at that point, right? We are talking here, as you've just demonstrated, about the most extreme consequences for, you know, little humans who haven't had an opportunity in that case to grow up to be an adult. And we have the state endorsing a radical change in how one treats a particular presentation. Um, why? What, why? What, you know, what, what is it that distinguishes this, um, this presentation, this problem, this need to go and see a clinic? Why does this um, become the pseudo-religion whereby no questions can ever be asked? Um, th this is... A, a, an absolute moral calamity because you know what is happening here as we can see is that medicine has gone out the window evidence has gone out the window and ideology is now taking the place and you know what if we were talking about 40 year old men who said actually i'd just rather wear women's clothes that would be one thing right that would be what that would be one thing. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm of the view that adults make their own decisions, but we're not. We're talking about extremely vulnerable um, kids. And, and, and as you pointed out Deb, with the, the reference to depression there, the presence of comorbidities um, and also just the presence of matters that naturally crop up in life, which make life difficult for kids, you know, bullying. Um, abuse, maybe sexual abuse, maybe depression, maybe all sorts of things. All of those things are put to one side. And once we start examining this side by side with other presentations, mm -hmm. we can see how bonkers this is. Because imagine you had um, a craze of self-harm or a craze of um, eating disorders, you know? And these things can run riot through um, adolescent populations of both boys and girls, funnily enough. 
if we had that, any doctor would be, it would be their duty, would it not, to sit down and look in the round at how do I help this kid? That's not the question here, is it? The question is not how do I help this kid? The question is how do I help this ideology? Mm-hmm. How do I contribute as a foot soldier to the primacy of an ideology which disproportionately um, is landing kids that grow up gay in clinics? And I'm sorry, call, call me a you know conspiratorial, conspiratorial minded, middle aged gay bloke, but I look at that and say, well, it's funny that all these kids, most of whom grow up to be gay, seem to be getting this pretty awful standard of care. And um, I'm not prepared to put up with it. And many of us are not prepared to put up with it, which is why we do things uh, like this. And I mean, that's why that's why I keep bringing it up. And that's why I asked you here, because I feel like we've got kids dealing with so much right now. They have, you know, 24 seven, the number of bites of information coming at them makes me I mean I I think back to my childhood and I can't imagine being that overstimulated in other words just having so much stuff and so the world as much as it's a better place in so many ways right we're living longer we have better treatments for long-term diseases we have so many wonderful things in our modern world there's a downside in that we physically have not evolved we're still animals, right? We haven't evolved at, at the same pace that our technology has evolved. And so now you take the adolescent going through the major changes of puberty. Yep. And just that's a, the, I, we, it really can't be overstated. That's a huge transition in the human being's life yep. between the hormones and the social pressures and everything, irrespective of all of the other voices coming at you. Now, potentially add that you have a troubled home life or we had COVID and the upset of COVID and you have you know, economic downturns. And there just is so much going on. And if you're a child who has some issues as far as confusion around who you are as a person relative to the the whole, relative to the the, uh, environment in which you live, and that would put, let's say, the the pre-gay child. So the child who says, you know, I'm different. And there's so many ways you can be different. That is just one. But that's a pretty big one. Um, And now you add to that all these other potential things. It's normal. It's completely normal for that child to go looking for help, to go looking for answers, to go looking for support. In fact, we would even encourage it. We would say, you know, that it's it's a healthy thing to look for support for yourself and not just kind of withdraw. Right. The problem is you've got, as you pointed out self-interested adults, ideologically driven adults, politically driven, money driven, all this different coming at them. Yeah. And they, there is a predatory nature to it, I feel like. I feel like it's not that difficult for people to identify questioning, curious, vulnerable children and exploit that. Yeah, I, 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 I think that, that's absolutely right. And I regard, um, and I'm sure we both do, you know, the, the children that, that end up going through this, um, as victims of this ideology, and what, one of the reasons I, I and so many other gay men and lesbians are in this fight is we look at these kids and say, that could have been us. You know, that, that could quite easily have been us. Not everyone, you know, society's a lot better now than it was, but not everyone grows up in a home where mum and dad are particularly happy about them being gay. And if mum and dad aren't taking you to the gender clinic, you might well take yourself 
these days because that's how you're told you you should fit in because we've we've stripped back haven't we what it means to be a man and a woman to an aesthetic and superficial level we talked about you know playing with toys as a diagnostic criteria which which is bonkers but but so much of this movement is aesthetic it's you know if you don't look like the the if you know if you look like a tomboy for example if you like if you're a girl and you like your hair short and you like playing with the boys i mean yeah quite a lot of girls do that because it's just more fun to be able to run around and have your hair short and so on it doesn't doesn't mean they need to like long um you know situation um in 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 surgery um this is a reductio ad absurdum because if you compare our understanding of gender and gender nonconformity to say the mid to late 80s and the 90s you know grace jones didn't need to be non-binary david bowie didn't need to change his pronouns it seems to me we had a better and a more comfortable understanding mm -hmm. of difference now I think what's changed is you put smartphones everywhere. You have gyms on every corner. Everyone on telly is body beautiful. Sex is everywhere. Uh, pornography saturates youth. You, you, you won't find a young girl these days who doesn't say, oh, the boys in my class are always showing me porn on their phone. That is a normal experience these days for girls at school. And It's terrifying. I mean, yeah. I, I think that can be incredibly upsetting especially if you have a child who now imagine the child they're showing it to had some form of abuse or imagine they're on the spectrum and so they're emotionally a little less mature they take a little longer to catch up same with kids with ADD I mean yeah. that can make you so afraid of becoming that object yeah right that you take steps to hide it I have even spoken to children I've worked with, you know, as students or even my own children have said that when they first started changing and growing up, they took steps to hide it yeah. because they didn't want anyone looking or noticing whatever. They were acutely aware of how grown men were starting to look at them. Now, yeah. I, I can honestly say, and I was what you might call gender nonconforming. I was a big, big tomboy. Okay. Sit with the short yeah. hair and the whole thing. But I was never dialed into, cause never saw porn, never had any of that. I was not dialed into like, oh, men are looking at me that way. I wasn't a tomboy because I was afraid to become a woman. That was not even on my radar. Um, but there are a lot of kids I talked to today that are like, oh, ew, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're still in that innocent ick phase, but it's in their face constantly. Wouldn't it be the nor most normal thing in the world to try to find a way to hide? I, I, I mean, doesn't that explain non-binary? to some extent, because the, the number, when, when you actually listen and you do that sort of, you know, that kind of intense listening where you hear what they mean as well as the words they're saying, the sort of spaces mm -hmm. between the words, quite a lot of people who describe on social media the non-binary experience, which you know, I think is a very strange concept, they remind me of um, instances um, in, in, in my former career where you were dealing with people who've been in some way traumatized by sexual encounters mm -hmm. because they sound, and this isn't true of everyone who says that, of course, I'm not, I'm not saying it's true of everyone, but the language, and you, you see, I suppose, most explicitly in the ce celebration of asexuality, the, I think you have to ask serious questions as a movement, as an ideology, if you've got to the point of celebrating 
um, particularly young people, denying a fundamental human appetite, which is natural to us all and we shouldn't be ashamed of and we should all be adult enough to deal with. Normally someone saying, I want no part of this, don't want this in my life. Normally that is a sign that something's wrong. And I think what is wrong is precisely what you've described there, which is this torrent, this absolute torrent of um, sort of pseudo-pornographic um, language fr fr from a, a movement that does not create art or music or poetry, but creates only pornography. It, it, is, it is the movement of anime, manga, and pornography. That's all it can create. And surprise, surprise, the other thing it creates are, are kids mainly and young people who are horrified about this and are saying, I, I'm, I'm now retreating to a space where I'm not part of any of this. And I think that tells that speaks very deeply as to the dysfunction of this movement, because this is the first youth movement I'm aware of where it has a puritanical bent involved you know, kids' movements are, up to this point really are not about saying, I will not have sex, you know. No. The presence of that should worry us. And I may, do, I may be doing it a disservice by calling it, uh, sorry, I'm doing kids a disservice by calling it a youth movement, because in, in reality it's not, is it? It, it? It's a movement that has come from adults, and um, it's a movement that's come, I think, from collapses and problems in the left and the right, both the me now consumerist human body as a consumer good, you can just modify of the right, so that sort of mass markets consumption. And I think it's also come from the left, um, I want to do whatever I want sexually right here, right now, and no one can judge me or ask me, or, or, or even worse, ask me if it's making me happy, because that's patrician and that's, um, you know, patriarchal. Um, right. It seems to me a collapse of, of, of both of those um, societal failures, or of both left and right. Um, in, both in of both of those extremes are externalized. Everything about the self yeah. it comes from outside the self, yeah. and what we are missing um, right now is any kind of focus uh, on what it means to be human like inside what how what identity actually is there's all that when people talk about identity now it's always external things it's always things you can either declare or see with the naked eye or dress up like you said a costume or some kind of cosmetic change and we no longer talk about virtues or vices we don't talk about and i don't mean to sound like a religious but i'm not I, i'm saying there even when i was growing up in you know the the late 70s and 80s there was still this idea that you know what it meant to be a good person was all about what was inside of you. Okay. Yeah. And that the acceptance of the outside was more about, we don't judge books by their cover because that's not who the person is. The person is who they are inside themselves. That's how what I was raised. And now we're turning it inside out. And we're not just saying you can, but you should judge the book by its cover. And by the way, what the contents are don't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with all the above. Um, this is a threadbare and moribund political movement. It's it's a pseudo religion. So to, to to the first point, you know, I identify as this, I identify as that. Da 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 da. What we've got here in gender is a prescription for personality by numbers. 
someone could tell you they are a demisexual, non-binary, that, that, the other, that, that, but they're ticking stuff off lists. And if, you know, at no point do they say, this is how that feels, or this is what that means, or this is what my values are. And when you look at their new catechisms and their new religious language, well, what is sin? Um, it's phobias, it's isms, it's all, it's all the modern wrongs. No one talks about, I don't know, selfishness? Envy. You know, envy, vanity, Yeah. you know? Gender is very much about how you look, how you feel, your body. Um, and, and, all this, and look, that is not to say that gender dysphoria and genuine cases thereof aren't real and aren't crippling awful conditions, but the language around gender and the third party affirmation has space only for rather rudimentary and moribund concepts of, of good and evil. And I think that's intentional, I'm afraid to say, because I think if you start to delve too, down, uh, too far down the line of, well, our responsibility to other people. I think you get difficult questions like, what about detransitioners? Mm -hmm. What about what about the gay guys who are being told, um, no, you you stop, you you need to stop having sex with um, trans men, so women who transition to become men, and if you don't, you are hateful. And that's another that's another one of the pseudo religious words um that are used and in terms of virtues I'm, I'm not sure it has a language of virtue i know it has a language language for pleasure um we get you know people taking photographs of themselves in women's bathrooms saying they're feeling euphoria that seems to be the ultimate goal um of the movement euphoria um but you know where are we um i i don't you know, call me old-fashioned, I don't remember the, the, the male bit of the gay men's rights movement having very much interest in female boundaries and spaces. Uh, and now I'm being told that, you know, um, a natal male in a dress taking a picture in a, a female lavatory is, is somehow, you know, a good thing. It's a sign of progress in my movement. I should be applauding euphoria. I think that, I think that sort of thing demonstrates just how... If you you know if you look at it if you really look at it, it's nothing to do with gay rights. This is this is nothing to do with that. And this these prescriptions for personalities are only personalities by numbers. You can have any of the flags they give you with any of the lines across it and any of the different colours, and you can have any of the words they give you: demisexual, twin spirit, two spirit, whatever it's called. You know they seem to come up with a new one every day. Mm -hmm. um but you you know but but you can't have your own and that seems to right, you me... can't just be straight or you can't just be gay or you right. can't just you know you can't you or can't just, just be what you are you right. know you everybody's be... in denial except for yeah. them yeah you've got you've got to fit into your neat little box invented by a lot of gender studies professors and corporations who've mass marketed it and road tested it and tiktoked it and you can have any one of those and that, that's what we're going to give you. We'll give you a personality by numbers. We'll give you a community by numbers. And that'll produce a moral code by numbers. And it'll produce something that serves itself. But it won't produce, as I've said before, it won't produce art. It won't produce poetry. And I don't think it ultimately will produce happy people. Because yeah. where does the conversation go after here are my pronouns and I'm this, that, the other? 
It, well, you, you're, you've just put up the same identity that I think may be chosen as a form of, you know, invisible bubble wrap. Like I'm now pr yeah. protected from your bullying and all your stuff because other people will jump in on my behalf and say, don't you dare. You're also protected from any kind of real intimacy because yeah. you've just put up a giant barrier. People are now afraid of you. You're yeah. saying I need to be protected from life more than I want to be part of life because to be truly in the world as opposed to on it, you have to risk. You have to be vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable. You have to risk people won't like you. People will reject you. People are going to challenge you. And that's how you get growth and those things. But if you cannot or will not handle that, you will never have a close, intimate relationship with anyone because yeah. you've put up a set of boundaries that prevent that. And yet you have no boundaries against the people who will parasite off of your fear and off of your neuroses for their own personal gain. You've, you've made yourself basically into food for them. Yeah. That's how I see it. And, 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 and what are you? Uh, 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 this sort of lonely God of a, a universe with no stars where the only thing that exists are the different things in your Twitter bio. And that's the mm -hmm. only thing you can talk about. And that's the focus of you. Yeah. What, what, do, what does that make you? And I repeat, I don't blame the kids. This is not their fault. This is, no. you know, if I was a kid and I had all this volleyed at me, I'm, I have no doubt I would be going along with all of this. That's the sort of kid I was, frankly. I mean, I was quite gobby as well, but, you know, <laughs> I've, I've no doubt I'd be, I was. Uh, I have no doubt I'd be going along with all of this. Right. And, you know, since when, you know, since when did we did we get a vote on this did did someone come around it just feels like i woke up one day and the world went crazy is a little yeah. bit how it feels well, because uh, I, I mean I, I don't know i i just i do have a question for you though this came up in the comments and this is something that um that i've wondered um this uh, adam says lgb needs to break away from the forced teaming yeah has there been any discussion i mean i i personally this doesn't affect me because I'm not gay, but I would deeply resent and, and be fighting the force teaming. If I, if somebody said I was part of a community that not only didn't provide community, but was that I was actively assaulting verbally and physically people within my community. I, I, I can't imagine I would be absolutely, you know, putting up my hand and being like, get away from me. Don't you dare lump me in with your, group but yeah. i don't know how that translates what if that's well um it, it's happening we've got the lgb alliance um in the uk um there's, there's a sister organization in the usa and in australia we've obviously got our own organization gay men's network there are lesbian organizations so um i i, I think that i think that is happening and you know um LGB became LGBT in about 2015. And at the time it was uncontroversial because mainly the homosexual transsexuals, so, you know, gay guys who'd, who'd, who'd transitioned would still drink in gay bars and so on, very much part of the gay community. So it sort of made sense to be LGBT at that point. Now, as the movements changed and as the, the TQ and everything, everything, the word salad um, or, the, or the alphabet salad, to the right of um, the B has got more and more extreme. More and more of us are saying, actually, we want no part in this whatsoever. Um, we Sexualities are different to gender dysphoria. So in the first place, we are fundamentally different. 
when you add to that, as I said, it's becoming increasingly clear that we have no political interests in common. I've mentioned the example about the gender euphoria in, in the ladies' bathrooms. No gay guys interested in that. And I've said it um, on Twitter and, and in other places. I, I do not accept that I, as a gay man, have any political interests in common with a cross-dressing straight man. I just don't. And uh, not to say I hate cross-dressing cis men. Uh, straight men? I don't, but we're different. We have different interests. We have different, certainly have different approaches to female spaces and female sports and all that sort of thing. But um, our national charity, Stonewall, says that if you cross-dress even one day a week, they said in one example, which I thought was crazy, for, for one guy, then you are trans. And, and I'm sorry, this is what, what they've done by adding RuPaul on all Paul will be very interested to hear that. <laughs> know, it's incredible, isn't it? They've... Um, They've almost made our community a sort of consumer good experience. And the worst place you can see this is with people who call themselves queer, um, which is a word I absolutely hate and I associate with violence because in when people used to wait outside the pub when I was, I don't know, in my 20s to beat us up if we didn't leave in groups, they were known in England as queer bashers. I can't stand mm -hmm. that word. Mm -hmm. um, but I do notice that those who call themselves queer, if you say to them, what exactly, what are you saying by that? What, what does that mean? You get a lot of evasion. And I can certainly think of high profile people who call themselves queer, like um, that, that vacuous woman, Jamil, whatever her name is, um, on, on Twitter. She was in um, A Good Place, or The Good Place mm -hmm. rather, or Laurie Penny, the journalist. There are several, you know, there's several examples of people who call themselves queer. And, and what they really mean is I don't want to call myself heterosexual. And it's not cool. I, it doesn't seem to be. And yeah. my friend Gareth wrote about this today, actually. He's a gay guy and just said, look, it's okay to be straight. <laughs> you know, please just go, just go and be straight. Like, like, you know, you are the majority and none of us would exist if it wasn't for straight people. <laughs> it is okay to be, right. to be straight because, um, what, what, what we've ended up with is a situation where all that lot um, who don't have authentically homosexual experiences um, seem to be speaking over us, speaking for us, using words we don't like, and doing things which I consider to be homophobic, and using words which I consider to be homophobic. So I completely agree with the comment. It's for, the point is the forced teaming helps them. <laughs> it's never helped yeah. us. You know? Well, and I think in, in schools too, they'll put up all the flags and they teach the pronouns and they do everything. But what I, what I fear is happening, suspect is happening. And maybe you've seen this too, is that let's say, you know, you have a gay, you know, boy or a lesbian girl, you know, they're pre-gay. Okay. Boy or girl. Yeah. And rather than say, especially in this rainbow climate where, you know, that's all about trans, trans, trans and all this, nobody's talking anymore about gay rights. They're all talking about trans rights that you might, temporarily say even though like kind of deep down you know like well i'm not going to come out as gay because the cooler thing is to be trans so i'll do that and i'll wear the costume and I'll do that but then here's the problem kids often make decisions in the moment because it serves the moment they don't tend to have a lot of foresight okay yeah. and i think in this culture where we have you know we're always living in the ever present now you know with social media it's always now now today today things are memory hold after an hour yeah. that they get in too deep too fast. So they get into the club, they get into the I'm now trans, or I'm going to change my gender back and forth by the hour or whatever they're doing to conceal 
like there's like a hidden internalized kind of a fear that if I'm only gay, it's not good enough or that they'll be rejected for that. And then suddenly they're down the path of affirmation and it would take an enormous amount of strength and self-awareness to say, nope, um, that's not what I want. I really meant this. Yeah. And I'm absolutely convinced that there's a population of children who are going along with all these well-meaning, loving adults. And here, we're going to care for you and take, go over here. We'll take you to the clinic. We'll, you know, we'll just zip over. We won't tell your parents because it, they're terrified to say, stop helping me. I actually changed my mind or I want to know I'm not, don't want that because they'll give up any friends they made because of it. They'll give up this, you know, approbation from the adults around them. They're, the cost to leave very quickly becomes very high. Yeah, but you, you've got to ask yourself, you know, what the hell is going on with these adults? These, as you say, these are children. Anyone who's met a child knows that they're going to say what is right in the, you know, you ask a child if they want to have a McDonald's or ice cream, they're not going to think about their long-term health, right? <laughs> we know what kid, you know, we know what kids are like. And um, there are some well-meaning adults, but I'm afraid if you can't recognize that children are like this, you are not equal to the task of safeguarding them and you should be nowhere near them. You shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be in a position where you can affirm them because you may not have malicious intent, but I'm afraid you're not bright enough to look after kids. Um, and the other thing I'm afraid we have to face is, and we, we've seen this in some English family law cases, and, and I'm sure sadly we'll see more of it. There are some people for whom this fulfills a psychological need, which, which in past would have been called factitious or Munchausen style disorders, where uh, the parental uh, guardian figure becomes the center of attention. Look at me facilitating my trans kid and we've had a case mr justice hayden dealt with where he, where he had to say where a mother was really pushing this uh, on a boy he, he, he had to say look i'm going to suspend contact and that will also mean this child has no contact with the charity in the uk that pushes this on on kids um as well so you know all, all the, the munchausen factitious cases didn't go away overnight there is there is there is still that going on and and, and to your point about you know, this locking kids in, not only have you got the psychological pressure that, that you spoke about, which I, I think is probably the most powerful one, all the data we have from the, the conveyor belt of, of gender clinic treatment, so both Netherlands and the JID study, so gender identity service study in the UK, said that if you put a child on puberty blockers, it's 96% and 98%, so Netherlands first, us next, 96 and 98% go on to take cross-sex hormones. Now, if you listen to the other side, they will tell you, oh, puberty blockers are just a pause button. They let the child think. They get the child, they don't. The evidence shows they don't. It's conveyor belt. What happens is you, you take a little human body. It doesn't develop in the way that it would have done, that it ought to have done to my mind. And you will lock that child in to being a lifelong medical patient. So not only do you have the potent psychological stuff that you're talking about and the not wanting to let people down, imagine layering on top of that a chemical um, element to that. Because we know you can see this with, I, I used to see this with young offenders who, who lost, who were good boys, but lost their lives to weed, for example, you know? where it went from a few joints to suddenly mum goes upstairs and the whole bedroom's covered in Bob Marley posters. You know, 
children can lose themselves even to a, a drug which by comparison um, is, is not as dangerous. Of course, of course, children can lose themselves in, in this way as well, which is why, of course, around the Nordic countries in Europe, they are, they are now stopping the use of these experimental drugs. And uh, I note that the High Court in Bell and Tavistock, uh, President of the Queen's Bench Division, described them as precisely that, and I think she was right to do so. Um, and now, about the backlash um, <clears throat> against, like, you've been fighting this fight and you talk about these court cases and so on. We haven't, we haven't seen this as much in the United States yet. Um, yeah. And well, I guess my question is, um, did your government at any point uh, adopt as any kind of official policy for the government run schools that this is the policy we will affirm or anything? Or is that a uniquely American thing? Have we done that and you didn't? I, I, I think that's uniquely American. We have we have a much more, um, so far as I understand it, and I'm not an expert, I ought to say, but but, but we have a much more sort of devolved school. Um, system. So you've got, you know, your private schools, your grammar schools, um, you have comprehensive schools, you have church schools, this, that, the other. And while we have a national curriculum, um, the degree to which that's covered in gender ideology is limited. And that means that different schools have gone different ways. And my understanding is that the public school system is, uh, by which I mean the state funded, because in England we switch the terms, um, right, exactly. System, so I'll, I'll use the American terms. So the, the public school system has, has a fair bit of it. But actually, that's not to say that private schools, so fee paying schools in this country, who you might describe as woke, for want of a better word, haven't got a good dose of it as well. Mm -hmm. We don't have, I think, the same sort of federal mandates as you do. Um, you know, you, you must teach this. You, you must you must do this. Also, our government is a little cooler on this subject than the Biden administration. You know, we don't have the prime minister's press secretary crying about trans and kids or stuff like that. We, I mean, we had the secretary of state for health, Sajid Javid, the other day compare treatment at trans clinics to a, a, a child grooming scandal, remarkably, in, um, in, in the North of England, very famous scandal called Rotherham. Now, I can't imagine anyone saying that in America. No, yeah. I mean, in fact, if you use the word grooming, which I think is accurate, yeah. Uh, people um, need to, in my opinion, need to understand that grooming covers more than just trying to get a young child to have sex with you. There's ideological grooming. Cults use grooming. Um, yeah. Grooming is just a series of behaviors and manipulations to persuade somebody to do something you want them to do that may not be in their best interest. Okay, so you're lying a little bit. You're breaking down barriers. You're pretending to be on the same wavelength. And we see that. We see the adults in the schools becoming pseudo peers with these kids. Yes. I'll keep your secrets. Don't tell you, we won't tell your parents. That is so, that is textbook grooming. Yeah. You don't ever, if you're in a position of authority over a child, you don't put yourself on the same level with them. And you certainly don't encourage them to keep a secret. That to me is all you need to know to know it's grooming. Well, but no, if you, if you have a friend who gets a new boyfriend or girlfriend who suddenly says, you should stop talking to your friends and family about we all know that that's a that is a sign of something that's deeply unhealthy because isolating people and making them making yourself their only point in, in which to repose trust and their only point of comfort and their only point of respect that's wide open that's wide right. open for mal malicious actors and it's also just generally unhealthy anyway and it's the law in, in many states. Right. I mean, I've done a, a profile in New Jersey just as one mm -hmm. example 
where the uh, the school administrators had a meeting with a lawyer to explain to them the new top-down New Jersey state law on affirmation and the, the administrators who now have to go tell other teachers and principals what to do were asking things, well, how young and what does it mean when they say, you know, uh, they've identified. And they said all the way to kindergarten. And they said, well, all they have to do is um, persistently say, you know, this just has to be persistent. Well, define persistent twice, once. What does that even mean? And they're telling them that now they are legally obligated, like they're going to face liability in some respect if they do not do this. So whether they agree with it or don't is, is out the window. It's not left to their adult discretion. And it's not even left to their adult discretion whether the person on the other end of the affirming is, as you described, somebody possibly with Munchausen's or mommy or daddy issues or, you know, whatever. They're not doing psychological background checks on these people. Yeah. And it's... It, so, sorry, I'm talking across you. No, it, it's it, it's just boggles, but it is now the law. It, 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 it's just unbelievable. And look, you know, going back to the, the comments um, in the comments section, this is what happens with forced teaming. Because what's happening here is they're confusing a child coming up to you and saying, I'm gay, for example, but don't tell my mum and dad, right? Where particularly the child's from a very religious background. And as long as you were just looking after the child and saying, well, you know, are you... You taking care? Well, I'm showing my age here. You know, are you are you taking care? Are you having safe sex? Are you you know all the other things? As long as you're doing that in a responsible way, that would be fine. And this thing, this is not the same, right? Because you can't you can't have it both ways. This can't be a civil rights movement based on something similar to coming out, and also an extremely serious medical condition. That requires surgeries, lifelong medication, lifelong medication, because that's not what being gay is, right? right. And right. you'll notice with this philosophy that sometimes some of the more cynical proponents, when they're playing for sympathy, they'll talk up the medical element of it, and when they're talking up objectives such as the ones you've just mentioned, they'll lean towards the civil rights analysis. But it can't be both. Um, th these are two fundamentally different things. Right. Um, so parents are asking me, well, what, what, what can we do? I mean, how do you, without uh, scaring your children or being at odds with your children, or God forbid, you you're, you get there too late, like the kid comes home one day and said and go and goes ahead and tells you, I am you know, trans or whatever, but they haven't moved towards the medicalization. They just sort of make this announcement, start wearing their flag patch they got at their GSA club or their little bracelet or whatever. They're giving away swag now at these at these clubs at school and they're recruiting yeah. supported by none other than the teachers unions. But parents want to yeah. know what can we do? What should we do? There are activist organizations in the United States like Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Ed, that expose that these things are going on. But I think individual parents are still coming to me privately and saying, well, that's that's great that people are exposing it's happening, but I still don't know how to talk to my individual child. I still don't know how to safely get between my kid and this ideology without having my child taken away from me, yeah. without having my kid hate me, without you know, because kids, as you pointed out before, they're not going to say like my long-term health is I'm going to eat the McDonald's burger. If there's one thing we know about children is you try to tell them they've been suckered or you try to tell them they've been yeah, manipulated by their friend, they're not going to believe you. They, they they are absolutely not going to listen to you. It's a rare child that will tune in. Yeah. I think you have to have 
the conversation and you have to interrogate the claim. So, you know, if a child, for example, says, um, I, I, I am trans, you, you, I think you have to say, well, first, You froze. Are you still there? Oh no. Oh no. Okay, can you can you hear me? You're frozen, but I can hear you. Hello? Oh dear. Did they finally dial in and decide they don't want us to have this conversation? <laughs> oh no. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, it must have been something in the connection. What what I might do is just disconnect briefly and reconnect if you can't see me, because that might fix I can it. see I can see you now and I can you hear can, you now. You can see me now. Great. Okay, Sorry so we're about good. that. We just, we'll continue. We just, interrogate the claim. So yeah, I think you have to interrogate the claim. I think, I think you have to have a non-judgmental conversation. Um and 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 first say, look, if 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 this is right and it's difficult to know exactly who you are at any age, you know, obviously we'll support you 100 percent and even if it's not right, if what you want to do by going to these clubs is do the right thing and support trans people 100 percent, we support that. And that's a great thing for you to be doing. But we need to look at what you mean by this, because if what you mean by this is I'm a boy, but I don't know, um, I, I enjoy painting or I don't like playing football too much, but I do like hanging around with the girls for example um and i do like um i i, I don't know you know just listening to music or, or whatever mm -hmm. that you know it, it's it's perfectly okay to be that sort of boy that's that's all right um because the trouble with and, and this is one of the things they conceal, I think, from children. You know, what, what does trans actually mean? There isn't a stable definition, is there? Because as we covered okay. earlier, it covers everything from a part-time cross-dresser through to a homosexual transsexual who's had full surgery, through to an AGP who has not, through to, according to some people, someone who looks like you or me and simply says, I'm non-binary. So you, you have to interrogate that. And then I think you just have to have, as I say, slow conversations that emphasize, look, you can be all of these things. And if you want to put labels on it, that's up to you. You, you. you know, you may find that that's what you do and that's what your friends are doing, but you don't have to. And you don't have to feel pressured to do that. And you shouldn't feel just because everyone else is doing it that you, sh you should do it. Now, I appreciate that last one would probably set a few kids off, but you, you see what I mean? I think, I think you right. just have to interrogate it and break down exactly what is being said because one of the things this movement does is it deliberately avoids doing that so if it, it, it's like when people say oh i've been living as a woman well what what does that mean did, did, did that involve the pay cut if we look at the gender pay difference <laughs> yeah. I, I bet it didn't i bet that's not the living as a woman bit you're talking about did it did it involve you know running a load of kids to a football game on a saturday or something. I bet it didn't involve that. I bet it was a lot Or my more favorite of the ones who talk yeah. about how they're getting their periods. Oh my God. They have PMS because they've been put on the cross-sex hormones. And I have to say to them, no, I'm sorry. You truly have no idea. Like, yeah. you know, this, that's the one I think that bothers me the most is that I deeply feel like I really am a woman or, you know, I, I feel, I, and I hear it more from the men than I hear it from, you mm. know, the, the girls, 
transitioning to male. I hear this, you know, oh, I'm, I, I really just internally felt like I was woman. I'm like, no, I, I couldn't tell you. I can't describe to you now what it feels like to be a woman. Yeah. That's the thing that no one's asking themselves. It's like, go to somebody who's cis and say, what does it feel like to be a woman? Like, I don't freaking know. Yeah, I'm only like, me. I can tell you what it feels like to be me. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's like, I don't know what it feels like to, to be a man. I am a man. Right. So it, it, there's it, no feels like, like. there's no, there's no thing that I could describe for you. Yeah, and you you can't reduce your binary biological essence to some sort of leisure experience that can be randomly felt or or felt as, as a product of you know all, all sorts of measures that that one takes as it, as if it it's almost like a sort of coveting a life experience and the the covetousness and the envy and respect of pain is is a very very strange. One and you do see it, I'm afraid, with this movement that right. you right. could give this movement everything and it would not be enough. It's not enough to have access to female spaces. It's not enough to redefine homosexual as they've done in the UK. The charities, not in law, thank goodness. They've said you're not homosexual. You're homogendered. You're only attracted to male genders. And it makes no sense to I, me. They, they did not. I, I, I want to apologize because I did use the term their term, and I really don't like to use terms like cis because that's their term and that's not reality. You yeah. know, if so, I guess the better point would be, you know, I accept the reality that I am a biological female, mm. um, and so when somebody says, you know, what, what that feels like, this or that, no, I don't. I couldn't tell you that. On um, by the same token, as you pointed out earlier you know, to have you run a group of kids to school or whatever, then, you know, if I see a, a six foot tall, you know, Leah Thomas, for example, yeah. who is now swimming for University of Pennsylvania and everyone wants me to call this man a woman. And yeah. I think to myself, first of all, it's not true. And secondly, you know, well, she, well, they'll say she feels like a woman. I'm like, really? So when she goes into a parking garage at 2 a.m. alone yeah, and, you know, another couple of guys start walking towards him yeah. um that, that you there's this internal sense of vulnerability why do i tend to doubt that you yeah. know it's just that and that's not to say that there aren't men who feel vulnerable at 2 a.m in a parking garage i mean if you're slight slight build or you're short or you're not very strong or you're old or whatever you might feel that way so that's not feeling like a woman that's just you are in touch with your vulnerability and when you when you are biologically female the vulnerability you have in terms of for example rape is higher it's not exclusive men get raped but it is higher because of the physical disparity typically amongst yeah. men and women and so on they don't they, they say i feel like this i feel like that shut up yeah <laughs> can't oh, possibly just, feel like that doggy going there um yeah and it it it, it, it particularly with the leah thomas thing it, it, it's just bizarre and I've, I've commented before it reminds me of the end of 1984 with the um the party final command being you had to reject the evidence of your eyes and you had to, you know, you had to say that that was the case. And, right. you know, I, I wonder if the histories of these, of these times are written, you know, the people either say that there was a mass delusion in progress uh, and people genuinely believe that this is the case, but I fear that will be charitable. I wonder if people will say actually what was going on was mass mendacity just a tacit agreement that everyone would lie and everyone would know that the other person was lying and everyone would know that the claim to i feel like a woman 
didn't bear a moment's intellectual scrutiny and was certainly diametrically at odds with what you could see with your own eyes. And you get to the point where you just think there's a degree to which this ideology is stress testing um, the extent to which people um, will, under pain of cancellation, um, fail to tell the truth or be too scared to tell the truth. I feel like that. That's worrying. That's deeply worrying. So it sounds like then the recommendation would be tell the truth. I think before you, you can't anymore. <laughs> I think you have to. I mean, it's interesting. Our, our Secretary of State for Department of Culture, Media and Sport was interviewed about this. And she said, um, look, it's just uh, my position is very straightforward. It, having uh, someone who's born a biological man, no matter how much sympathy I've got for their condition and what they've been through, it will always be, quote, impossible for them to compete fairly in women's sports. Bang. She just said that. Now, that would be unthinkable in America to say something like that. But Why do you think that is? What makes America, and Canada too, because Canada's got even worse than we've got, as I understand. Oh, God, yeah. but is, but, you know, it's like people loved in this country to talk about like, oh, we, we left the UK, we left England and, you know, we've and we're so individualistic and we're so independent. And then I'm looking at us and like, what is wrong with us? We're acting like we're little simps and there's, you know, the usually very polite, you know, the very, very, very polite, that. okay, just saying, uh, yeah, no, we're not buying it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. I don't know if it's something to do with the American susceptibility to um, religion in, in, in general terms, because oh, the if, if, if you look at this, it really operates and moves like a religion. Um, you know, it's, it's got its original sin with colonialism or assigned male or female at birth. It's got its catechisms. Certainly it's got its mantras. Certainly has its witch trials. Certainly has its holy class that you can't criticize. Certainly has its rituals. Certainly has, um, you, you know, flesh sacrifices. It's got everything a religion should have and a cult-like religion should have. And I think, I mean... You know, we may have a reputation as being um, quite polite, but we're probably also the nation in Europe that is most sarcastic and most suspicious of authority. I think we're the first nation that has a proper civil war. Um, someone will correct me now in the comments. But, um, you know, we're, we're the nation of, of, of the Reformation. We're, we're the nation of, you know, quite quite stroppy, Hogarth-type, um, Enlightenment-type. Even George Orwell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the guy goes off to, you know, fight the, then the Spanish Civil War, comes yep. back and writes 1984. I mean, that's some self-awareness right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I think we've got, a, we've got a bit of cultural history we draw on. I think we've also been lucky to some extent. So, for example, all these other countries that rush these conversion therapy bans because they sounded nice and like a progressive piece of gay politics, it gave us a lead-in to say, hang on a minute, fine to ban the gay stuff because that's just torturing young gay people but actually when you back quote ban trans conversion therapy you're you're you've got doctors saying i won't advise anything other than affirmation because i'll be prosecuted so i think we were lucky in that other nations embraced stuff so quickly that we were able to say holy hell you know what what's going on there and i know um billboard chris um on twitter who goes around canada in particular 
Um, He's seems been to on me. this panel a couple of times too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think I think he had a bit of a head start. So you know, much as I much as I always like flying the flag for us, I, th- I think also we just move a bit more slowly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that that has its uh, that has its pluses here, um, because we've gone from what you know two gender clinics to over four hundred in very yeah. short span of time, and and um, but as I said, but the thing that is very concerning to me now is this has left the realm of even parents being uh, lied to by their you know their schools or the the teachers, but now it's become official policy in most states in uh, na- you know nationally the federal policy we have a we have an agp health and human services secretary um and no one wants to talk about that no one wants to talk about how the official policy of the united states was literally crafted by an agp you know for those watching who don't know what agp is it's autogynophile um and so as uh but but, you know I, i just I just think we need to be asking more questions. And for some bizarre reason, either it's because people are want to be so agreeable and not be seen to be a bigot. They don't want to even ask questions. Yeah. And, you know? and, and that's extraordinary because it, because it's um, Levine, isn't it, is the name of the. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah but exactly. the most extraordinary Twitter thread, which is Helen Joyce pointed out every, every single statement was a lie about, you know, these gender clinics are saving lives, da 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 da, da. all the normal normal stuff. And as I say, Helen Joyce and um, some of the truly magnificent women from Sex Matters went went through it line by line, just said this is this is not um, science. It's certainly not sound medicine. This is ideology. So you've got a person there in charge of, you know, what's going to happen to kids acro- acro- across the country, and insofar as that informs the federal stuff. Um, who is approaching this from an ideological point of view. And that's absolutely frightening. Absolutely. And then you have a Supreme Court nominee who's asked point blank what a woman is and says, I don't know, I'm not a biologist, which is really scary because does that mean, I, you know, some people said, well, that's good. At least she understands that, you know, there's a biological fact to be pointed to. Well, I'd have more confidence in that if science were still science. What I'm actually yeah. concerned about is they're going to redefine the biological definition of sex yeah. I, 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 because I saw, it's infiltrated medicine and science too. Yeah, I mean, I saw a defense of that with someone saying, "Oh, she was just cleverly avoiding a Republican talking point," and I said to him, "Do you know how far have we got though? If the definition of a woman is now regarded as a political talking point, I mean, this is this is insane." This everyone knows what a woman is. The, and, and therefore, once again, we're not really dealing with the deficit of knowledge here. What we're dealing with is a chasm of courage because it is not that woman has become undefinable. It is that woman has become the biological sex that dare not speak its name. And if that doesn't tell you that the situation for women is pretty damned serious right now, if a female Supreme Court nominee won't even dare say the word are you really do you really want to live in a society like that do you really want to make the name the word we had for adult human female which was perfectly uncontroversial until about five years ago do you really want to live in in a world do you want your daughters to live in that sort of world i i find that quite extraordinary i also find it an absolute insult um to, to women i think it's disgusting that I, you know, I've lived through um, lots of things associated with being gay, being unsayable. I know what that feels like. 
And I, I know what it's like not to have your own language or for it to be a dirty word. So for that to happen to half the damned population, right. this is an extraordinary crisis. And, it, and it, you know, when you get to the point with the Roe v. Wade stuff, where people are, uh, defend, de quote, defending abortion rights, but they're not able to say who for. You look how clumsy that argument becomes and mm -hmm. how difficult it is to make an argument. It demonstrates, I think, a, a fundamental legal um, truth, which is that which you cannot define, you have no hope of defending. And that is why every single law um, across the common law world contains every single statute contains a section headed interpretation. It says this word means this thing. Uh, and, and here we are now in a situation where words can't be said and they're not allowed to mean things because um, it seems like everyone um, is allowed to define and everyone gets to be a woman except women. And it's... Uh... Yeah, I have three daughters. It's very, very concerning to me. Yeah. So um, but let's round it up by telling us what you are working on right now um, as far as in this fight, What if you're if you're at liberty to. Sure, sure, um, sure. Yeah, great. Um, at the moment, we, we're going to, we're currently working on um, an open letter to the Scottish government about their conversion therapy bill. But in, in due course, we have two big public letters um, planned and campaigns around them. We want to um, talk to the Secretary of State for Education, Nadim Zahawi MP, about what is really going on in our schools and the influence of Stonewall and their proxies in filling schools with the, what we consider to be the homophobic creed of gender identity. And we'll be doing the same sort of letter to the Secretary of State for Health, Sajid Javed, following up on um, his announcement um, that he wants an investigation into what's going on at these gender clinics. And we, we want to... Um, point out uh, particular areas that we think are important for him to look at, in particular the involvement of third parties coming into those clinics and, and pushing stuff as has been identified by the courts in our country. We want to make the argument that we need childhood medicine and clinical best practice to be based on uh, medicine and not ideology. Sorry, Deb, that was a bit long. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I You said third parties and my ears pricked up because yeah. we're seeing that in my research into education and, and yeah. you know, pedagogy and stuff, we're seeing some really interesting third parties coming into the picture with yeah. lots and lots of money and political influence yeah. and parents are blissfully unaware they think this is all a democratic process. They've elected representatives who chose people or appointed people to decide what the curriculum should be. And they have no idea that there are massive corporations and yep. foundations that are just pouring money and influence into these things. And that needs to be more closely examined um, and Absolutely. disallowed, if you want and my we, honest opinion. We, we've got to show the, the truth that very often these things are proxies for mm -hmm. other forces. And very often something that looks like five organizations is in fact, they're in a consortium somewhere or one manage the other. And, and we need to start making those links and doing the work on that. Exactly, exactly. So as far as the, any, any advice to those of us in the United States who are trying to be more active uh, legally, I mean, I'm sure there are groups that are doing it, right? But um, do, have you worked with people in the United States at all or do you have um, any? Not, not extensively. I mean, I, I chatted with loads of guys and, um, and girls in the United States uh, about this. Obviously, your legal system is extremely different to um, our own. I mean, we, we have found um, that 
it, it doesn't hurt, or it doesn't hurt at least from the point of view of our political discussion and our discourse to be as public and as open um, in your in your concerns uh, as as possible. And and we find that we've achieved most when, like for example, when we're doing policy responses to consultations. Um, we found that making those public, making those documents everyone can look at and just speaking openly and clearly and not being afraid. Um, I mean, that's easy for me to say over here, to be honest. Um, Cancelling is real. It does exist. People can and do lose jobs. And I fully understand that it's difficult. But, you know, we do have to speak up about this because it's too important to lose. These are, you know, we, we, we're talking about, I'll put it this way. At some point, particularly for any gay men listening, at some point, the next generation of um, gay men and lesbians will come of age. And when this all blows up, and it will, and when there's lawsuits and when there's public inquiries, they will ask you and they'll ask all of us, what did you do to fight this? And we should all be in a situation where we can say that we did something. I agree. And I think that's a fantastic place for us to end the conversation as well, because I want people to leave with that in their minds. Please sure. speak openly and honestly about reality. Uh, our, our kids, our whole entire civilization, I think, depends on it. I Dennis, I cannot thank you enough for taking this time to sit down and talk with me about this important topic. I, it, it keeps me up nights, to be honest with you. And um, keep doing your work. I follow your Substack. Everybody should also subscribe to Dennis's Substack. And you're at, is it uh, your full name.substack.com? I think so, yeah. I think you've got it in the YouTube thing. Yeah, it's in the description. Please subscribe. He's got a piece up there about being kicked out of Twitter. We need him back. Again, so everybody, please, at Elon Musk, if he's, if this sale goes through, we need Dennis back. Um, yes. But we need your voice. Even, you know, everything you're doing is so valuable. And love to everyone on the other side of the pond fighting the fight. I pay close attention to it. And I'm hoping Thanks we will catch much. on and follow suit. Fantastic. Thanks, Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great day. Thank you.